Good morning. Could you turn? We welcome you all today to this Memorial Day Sunday. Reminded of the great men and women who put their lives on the line for our safety and security. We're reminded of the verse that Jesus spoke in John 15, where he says, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down their life for their friends. This week, uh, please, if you'd like, if you have a prayer request, please put it in our bulletin. Um, in your bulletin, you have a slip, and put fill that out, and we'll be glad to pray this week and also during the service. Also, a reminder of all the things that we have going on this week for your edification and growth in the Lord. And then also to remind, we have shelves for food for those who can't afford it. And we can drop off food donations in our lobby. And then also, too, we have change for families that have little babies that can't afford the necessary items that are to take care of a baby. Uh, Memorial Day is a great, great day of gratitude for us. In a burst of anger, I turned my face away for a little while. Even with everlasting love, I have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Let's stand together as we sing the America the Beautiful. Steve, do you have the background on that? Unlike many of our hymns, the words to America the Beautiful were written in 1893 by Catherine Bates and set to a tune composed 11 years earlier in 1882 by Samuel A. Ward. While the words speak of the beauty and history of America, they also seek God's blessing on our country. When she wrote the patriotic words, Catherine Bates may also have been thinking of Psalm 33:12, which says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Rise, let's sing together this beautiful hymn. You're singing out. Hmm? You're singing out. Oh, beautiful for space, skies for amber, ways of grain, for purple mountains, majesties. Above the fruited plain, America, America, God shed His grace on thee and crown thy good with brotherhood from sea to shining sea. Oh, Thank you. 
America, America, make thy gold refined, till all success be nobleness, and every gain divine. Oh, beautiful for patriot that sees beyond the years thine alabaster city's king undimmed by human tears america america god shed his grace on thee and crown thy good with be seated. Scott's going to join us and lead us in our prayer of confession. Okay. Good morning. Won't you join me in this morning's prayer of confession? O oh Lord God, you have shown us with patience and kindness. We come to you in confession this morning. We admit the times we have harbored resentment and frustration to those who have hurt us has robbed us of peace. We confess the time we have compromised in our lives with half have truths and windows that made us believe one thing when it was another. Forgive us for not wanting to recognize our blind spots and change the things that hurt our relationship with you and others. Give us a sense of security in you that we are not afraid to admit our faults and make the changes necessary to honor you more. Through Jesus Christ, we pray this. Amen. Our assurance of forgiveness this morning comes from Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we had done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ. and a waste of time. If people are causing divisions among you, give a first and a second warning. After that, have nothing more to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. Let's continue our worship as we sing our praise songs. Let's stand together. He became sin who knew no sin That we might become His righteousness He humbled Himself and carried the cross Love so amazing Love so amazing Jesus must so 
Every praise is to our God, every word of worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise is to our God. Sing hallelujah to our God, glory hallelujah is to our God. Every praise, every praise is to our God. God, my Savior, God, my healer, God, my deliverer, yes, He is, yes, He is, yes, He is. Yes, he is. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise is to our God. Sing hallelujah to our God. Glory hallelujah is to our God. Every praise, every praise. God, our Savior, God, my healer, God, my deliverer, yes, He is, yes, He is, yes, He is, yes, He is, every praise to our God, every word of worship with one seated this time we're going to have our offering before we do would steve you want to share with us about this beautiful hymn the battle hymn of the republic was written by julia ward howe in 1862 the author wanted to use different words to the tune of john brown's body which was a familiar marching song during the civil war while the words were written hastily scholars have attributed the text to the last line of psalm 76 which says he breaks the spirit of rulers. He is feared by the kings of the earth. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for all the people who have given their lives so that we could come here today and worship you freely without any government intervention or without anybody closing us down. And that we freely can talk about you and worship you. We're so blessed as a nation, Father God, and we thank you. We also thank you, though, for the greatest gift that was given to us by you sending your son to die for us and give us eternal life. And we thank you, Lord, for all the blessings that you shower upon us every day. And I pray for these folks as they give today. We want to give you gratitude for the many blessings we have. But also, too, Lord, we want to thank you, and, and it feels so good to just enjoy you and be with you, Lord, this day together. Lord, bless these gifts that these folks give, and bless them unto them. In Jesus' name, amen. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. 
He is trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are scorned. He at least the faithful like me not as terrible with sword. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. I have seen it from the trumpet and there'll never a retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him, be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. The beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea. With his glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As we die to make men holy, thus live to make men free. Our God is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Hallelujah, His truth is marching on. Sorry that I have to sit today. Vacations are not always good for me. <laughs> it hurt my back. <laughs> that soft chair got me in for 30 seconds. Well, today is a wonderful day. Uh, we can give thanks to God for this great country. Um, Friday was, we had a law enforcement memorial, and I don't know if any of you know, but. Um, our county and city have had 34 officers killed in the line of duty over the years. And our last one, of course, was uh, Sydney Young uh, Rookie, just got out of the weekend training center and was hit in, on the way to a, a hall and was killed by a person who was high on, on, uh, <coughs> on uh, pot. And uh, uh, we, um, very tragic, but these things happen in this world that we know is sinful. And we also know that this, you know, we celebrate Memorial Day for all the wonderful men and women who have given their lives for us to be free, to worship here and also to live as free people. Um, over 600,000 people have lost their lives for our freedom. And we're so grateful for them. Um, I know, too, if you ever go to the Robert Dole 
a veteran's home or you go to any of them. The one picture that I always remember in my head as I walk in to the Robert Dole is that the price of freedom. And you see men and women who don't have limbs or eyesight or whatever. So let's have a word of prayer. Father God, we just give you thanks and praise for all the brave men and women who have given their lives so that we can do this today and also that we can be free in this country and that we can enjoy the blessings that you have provided for us. I pray for their families, Lord. Friday again, we looked out on those families that lost loved ones in tears and missing a person at a ta dinner table or not being able to share life with a daughter or a son because someone took their lives. And we think of that for the many brave men and women all over this country, but all over the world that have sacrificed themselves and their bodies. And some have even come back uh, with memories and brokenness in their hearts. And we just lift them up. We ask you, Father God, give them strength. Help them in their times of need. And the PTSD sometimes even grabs a hold of them and destroys the beautiful things that they have. I pray, Father God, too, that as we come to you today, we give you thanks and praise for providing us with such a wonderful country. We thank you for our early nation's fathers who went through the scriptures and got on their knees and penned out the Constitution and the Bill of Rights so that our nation would be founded on those wonderful principles. I pray for those who fight for them in the Senate and in Congress and throughout our land. We pray that you'll raise up leaders that will defend that and hold those things to be true. That we can be a people who are equal. A people who are born with unalienable rights, as it even says, that are given by you, God, to us. I pray, Heavenly Father, too, for our church as we continue to move forward in our lives. We pray especially, Father God, for our transition to this new denomination. We pray that our previous denomination will hear what we have to say and, and love understand what we're doing and that they will realize the importance of these things. I ask you, Father God, too, to be with those who wish to be here today but can't. Our shut-ins, Lord, we think of Bill Bannister, Lucille Townsley, Joyce Raglan, Karen, Pray, Father God, too, for our brother Daryl Hickey, who lost his wife last week and a half ago. And you continue to be with him in his grief. I pray also for our sick, too. I thank you to see Judy back today after breaking her, having her foot operated on and doing so well. And for Everett Long, who's battling cancer, and, and also for Joyce Ragland, uh, for her health issues, and for... Todd and Angie Ojile, for Todd with his heart and Angie with her cancer. For little Samantha Mama too, Father, and also Jason Stevens and Jordan Rupnos and Mark Dots, that they all battle cancer, Father. We pray for their healing, Lord. We know that you have the power. We pray also for those that we know that are fighting addictions. 
We thank, Father, especially of Jordan and Ryan and David and Eric and Ricky and Mitch, who continue every day to battle that, and some are not winning the battle. We just pray that you work in their hearts to see you as the one who can save their souls. I pray also, too, Father God, for the families that have been devastated by flooding, and for also, too, the families this weekend again in our city that have come away with shootings and loved ones being lost. I pray also, too, Father God, for uh, the challenges that are ahead of each person here today, both in their lives and their personal lives, Jesus. You know what they are. Give them strength. Keep their eyes focused on you and depend upon the Holy Spirit. And now, Father, today we thank you that you've given us your word, the inspired word of God, that speaks to us every day. And that, Lord, today we can come away with something that you have for us, something that we need, something, Lord, that we can be strong about. And that we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit and not on our own strength. We thank you, God, now for this privilege to open your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever been distracted? I know when you're listening to my sermons, you're never distracted, right? <laughs> How about when a few weeks ago, I wanted to go get a quick meal, and so I drove through the Taco Bell drive-thru. I ordered, and I waited, and I came to the window, and I paid with my credit card, and uh, pulled away. I forgot to take my order. <laughs> and there, hanging out of the side window, as another car pulled up, is the young lady going, hey, hey, I've got your order. And of course, I couldn't back up, and so a young man came out with my drink, and my bag of food. And Jesus today comes to us and his disciples because he knows how distracting life can be and also that what we need to understand about living for Christ, being a good disciple for Jesus. And so Jesus comes to us today. And if you remember what happened was we've already covered that Jesus was baptized. His father affirmed him. And right after that, Jesus went off into the wilderness to be tempted for 40 days. And we saw three of those episodes that Jesus dealt with. And then the Bible tells us, of course, and reminds us that Jesus was able to conquer those and withstand the temptations. But that it wasn't over for Jesus and that the Bible says Satan was going to come back again at another opportune time. And it's the same thing with us. He always looks for those opportune times. Then right after that, Jesus chooses some of his disciples. James and John, the sons of Zebedee. He chooses Peter and his brother, Andrew. And Jesus has been going around healing and teaching and doing all kinds of miracles. And his popularity began to grow and swell. People were even coming up from Syria. But Jesus now is putting together his team, his 12th. 
And he comes to the mountaintop and we see what Jesus does. And we know that the Sermon on the Mount was named by our good friend Augustine. He really entitled it the Sermon on the Mount. But if you realize the words here in the Greek show us that Jesus was really speaking to his disciples. He wasn't speaking to everybody, but he was calling his disciples together to begin to lay the groundwork of what it is to be a disciple. And he comes <coughs> to them and deliberately talks to them about what's going to happen inside of them with Christ in their hearts. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, and how they're to live as leaders in the church, but also as believers. And we see Jesus here, as many commentators will say, a lot of things here Matthew shows us, and, and we see in Jesus, a really reflection of what Moses went through. We just went through Exodus, and remember, Moses went onto the mountain and received the Ten Commandments. And that Moses also wrote the first five books. And in Matthew, it's interesting, but Jesus' teaching sections are divided up into five sections. In fact, each one of them ends with the little phrase that says, and then after Jesus stopped teaching, and then goes on to the next phrase. And what we see is there's a parallel here. The five books of the Pentateuch, Christ giving five teachings. Jesus also speaking to the twelve, his apostles. Like the patriarchs in the Old Testament, now we have the disciples. And that Jesus really reinforces the law that God gave Moses. But really, if you want to think about it, think about it on the Ten Commandments on steroids. That's how powerful it was. And what Jesus does is lays out to them the kind of lifestyles that we should have as Christians and as disciples of Jesus. And that this new exodus of leaving our sinful ways and following Christ. And John Stott, who's a great commentator and wrote a beautiful commentary on this, and, and it's called Counterculture. And that's what we are, folks. We're different than the culture we live in. And that Jesus lays us out how we're to live in that counterculture. And John Stott says something very important for us to understand. He said that most well-known teachings of Jesus in the Beatitudes and in the Sermon on the Mount, a lot of people know, both Christians and non-Christians. But it's the least understood, the way Jesus meant it, and it's the least obeyed. And what we see here is Jesus especially speaks to two groups. He speaks really to the believer, but also it's great word for the unbeliever. There are at least 38 different ways of interpreting the Sermon on the Mount, where people have tried, and they use lenses from different hermeneutical styles, and that means they see it through a certain light. But they really don't understand what Jesus is talking about here. The common one, of course, is the legalist. 
In fact, I use that sometimes when I'm sharing the gospel to people. And when I talk to some, I go to parks and I talk in bars to people or I, I, when you share to people who think they're very religious and they say, well, I was an altar boy when I was in sixth grade and I go to church every Sunday and I follow. You say, but are you able to follow what Jesus said? He said, if you look upon a woman lustfully, that means, i.e., you go to the gym or you go another place and you look upon her. It's just like doing the very act. Well, that can't be. Well, that's what Jesus says. And it surprises them. And some legalists use that, but it's a helpful thing. It drives them to Christ. In fact, that's the second thing. A lot of times use it to drive people to Christ to see their need for Jesus. But that's not what Jesus really meant it for. It's helpful. But what Jesus meant it for is the kingdom of God. There's others who interpret it with social emphasis. Some of you remember back in the 50s and 60s and 70s, where the church began to speak about bringing the kingdom to earth, and that everybody would literally, and the world would lay down and get together and have peace forever. But we know that's not true. Jesus talks about the kingdom. And that we're to live out the kingdom as believers. And that the lion will someday lay down with the lamb. But not right now. Back in, before World War I, everybody was thinking modernism has come. And we're going to have this wonderful world when everybody's going to get along. And then World War I happened. And then we... People began to start talking that way again, and World War II happened, and then people waited until 1950 and began to talk about it again. But you see, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's also not talking about totally in the future. There are, for instance, dispensationalists who think Jesus is describing the way it's going to be when the thousand-year reign of Christ comes before his second coming. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about the way we need to live life every day. And that for the unbeliever, they understand that they cannot fulfill what Jesus says here without the Holy Spirit, without God. And to the believer, we need to be moving in this direction in our lives the way Jesus talks about it through the law and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that Jesus positively speaks to us about the righteousness that we need to have. And he could have criticized the Pharisees, but he doesn't do that. He goes right into the mode of talking about blessings. And so he opens his mouth and he begins to teach the disciples. And there's four attitudes that he wants us to get out of this. Some of them will get out today and we'll continue next week. One of the attitudes is what we think about ourselves. How do we view ourselves? Do we view ourselves as the world views us? As a blank slate and we're just writing on it? Or do we see it as the way Jesus sees it? And that we have to think positively. Or the attitude towards our sins. How should we view our sin? When the world has even eliminated the word sin from some dictionaries. 
Oxford Junior's um, dictionary has removed the word sin because they feel it's no longer valuable to children. And then we see also Jesus teaching about our attitude toward the Lord. What's our attitude toward God? And finally, what's our attitude towards the world? Now, we're not going to cover all those today, but we're going to begin. What's it like for us to live? He says, blessed are you. And the word he used, blessed, means a divine joy that comes inside of us. A happiness, a inner tranquility, and a feeling of sufficiency because God is in our heart. And it doesn't depend on outward circumstances, but it depends solely our peace and contentment upon God. And that we trust Him. And that we live that out. That we live like this not to be saved. We are already saved. And with the Holy Spirit inside us, God is working. But it's the way we live because we are saved. This is how we live. And it's a package deal. We can't say, well, I'd rather, I, I can do the meekness, but uh, that, <clears throat> you know, being hungering and thirsting for God, I don't know if I can do that. No, it's all together. This is who we are with the Holy Spirit inside our hearts. And <clears throat> our behavior flows from what we believe and what we trust Jesus for. And that behavior is changed. And it's new. And so what Jesus tells us first and foremost, he said, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's not talking about financially poor. He's not talking about poor that you don't have any food. He's talking about our own look at our lives. Do we really believe what the Bible says about our hearts. And our attitudes are, these beatitudes are attitudes we should have. It's like the little boy one time, his father was trying to take a nap on a Sunday afternoon, and the kid was driving his father crazy. Couldn't get to sleep. <clears throat> and father took the Wall Street Journal, and there was this big map. He said, that's where I'm going to get this kid. But not bother me. And so he took this page off the Wall Street Journal and he cut it up into 50 pieces. And he gave those pieces. He said, this is a puzzle. Will you put that together? He thought that kid will be at it for hours. <laughs> Ten minutes later, as he's just about ready to go to sleep, he feels the tug. Dad, I got it taped all together. Got it taped all together? How'd you do that? He comes out, and there it is, laying on the table, put together perfectly. He says, son, how did you do it? He said, well, there's a picture on the other side. And I put that picture of that man together. And when I did that and flipped it over, the map came together. The world came together. And what Jesus is saying to us today, we need to be together here in our hearts with Christ. In order for us to make sense of this world and to live in this world and be together about it. That's what Jesus wants. 
Because you know we're not living in a world that's together, do we not? When we have to add an appropriation of $10 billion to protect Supreme Court justices from being violated. And their children who go to school. And decide to, to assign basically people from the Secret Service to take care of their children at school. How sad that is. Or that we go to a ball game like the Dodgers. And we have the nuns of impurity coming out. We're immoral, mocking the Catholic Church and the nuns that give themselves to the Lord's work. Because they are the nuns who are transes and, and live all kinds of ways of life immorally that they want. This is the world we live in. And Jesus says to us, Blessed are you. Or poor in spirit, you understand this fullness. You understand how it affects your own life. And we Americans who believe in the right of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, we also believe in the right of Jesus Christ and the righteousness he's given to us. That's the kingdom of God, he says. We've seen it all through our lifetime, have we not? 1935, Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob Smith developed a 12-step plan to help people whose life came unraveled. And centers abound focusing on God and putting yourself together and not letting your addiction hold you. Or Rick Warren who did the seven steps. All these are part of our sinful nature. And we know that's part of our DNA. I mean, how many of us have ever stayed up too late when we should have gone to bed? Or have you ever ate and drank just a little bit too much and now you feel bad? <laughs> have you ever looked at sexually explicit pictures on your computer and realized you shouldn't have done it but you did it anyway? How many of us have ever tried to control someone else? You see, all this we're trying to be God. Trying to be our own God. And the Bible here is very sincere. We need to understand how impoverished our own souls are. And our propensity to want to do sin. And live in that. And even when we know it's going to hurt us, we do it anyway. Isn't that true? It's like the picture I saw the other day of the penguin who woke up and the bear was still sleeping. It just had symbols ready to crash. I was going to hurt him if he ever woke that bear up. And you see, that's who we are. The Apostle Paul says that in Romans chapter 7. Doesn't he? He says that the very things I want to do, I don't do. And the very things I don't want to do, I do. See, that's who we are. We're spiritually impoverished. Ever since Adam and Eve took the bite of the fruit. This is who we are. And that's how we're living. And we need to realize the poverty of our own souls and how deceptive the Bible says it is. How many of us cover up when we say we're scared to death, but we say, oh, I'm not afraid? <laughs> or when we're feeling lousy and somebody says, how are you doing? Oh, fine. <laughs> or... 
We feel like we can handle something on our own and we don't need help when we should be asking for help. See, all that is playing God. See, the result of this is all denial. We can say, oh, I'm fine, I'm okay. And God says, you're not okay. Jeremiah 17 says, our hearts are deceitful. We, like Adam, sin. We have fear. When God saw him in, in the garden, said, I heard you in the garden, Adam said, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. That's our nature. We want to hide and cover up who we really are. And Jesus says to us today, as a follower of Jesus, realize the impoverished of your soul. Because you're going to inherit the kingdom, but you need to realistically know yourself. There are times that you and I try to handle the world ourselves, our own world. I crack up. The other day, somebody sent me a clip of Lucille Ball and Ethel Mertz trying to work in the chocolate factory, trying to keep them wrapped up, and it's, they start eating them because they, they can't keep up with the machine. And what's happening in our world today? Computers are running our lives. We're trying to keep up with them, and we are not doing so good, and we wind up frustrated. And then we found, find ourselves sometimes fatigued. We find ourselves giving ourselves over to things because we're so tired. And we're wiped out. And then when we fail, we really fail, we crash. We need Christ. You see, that's what Christ is saying here today. He's saying, blessed are you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We know that. And we'll have the kingdom of God. Then he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now we've all seen the Hallmark cards. And it's nice to get that message on the card and the realization that we will be comforted. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about the sorrow for our sinfulness when we act on it. We're sorrowful. That we do what we do. Paul comes at the end of chapter 7 and he says, Wretched man that I am, who can save me? Who's the spiritual doctor? And he says, Jesus Christ. See, he came to that point also. We all do. And we need to admit it. In order for us to become healthy and to get the prescription Jesus wants to give us. I remember a friend of mine in the ministry. I used to think so highly of him. And I wanted to be just like him as a pastor. And he had moved as a pastor near where I was going to school at the time. And I had heard that he had committed an immoral act and he had committed adultery and a moral failure. 
And I remember as a young man who was just at the start of seminary when there were two other pastors who had done the same thing nearby that were also friends of mine, and and I was in the car with him alone, and I said to him, so tell me what happened. Oh, that little thing, not a big deal. Well, your wife was about ready to divorce you. Your two kids didn't want to have anything to do with you for a while. And that was not a real big thing? That doesn't sound good to me. See, James says it, grieve, mourn, wail, and mourn. So that our joy can be complete after we're through it. You see, some people, when they sin, they regret it. But that's all that happens. They're sorry. Some are regretful because they're also remorseful because they're stuck because they've been caught. Not because they're really sorry, but they've been caught and now they've got to show face. And what the Bible tells us to do is we need to repent. Like David in the Psalms. He said, I know my transgressions and my sin. It's always before you. And against you, you only have I sinned. Repentance means I come to grips with the sin that I've done. And I admit it to the people I failed. And that I turn my lifestyle around so I don't do it again. And I truly change my way. Because you see, with sin, sin has a powerful way to gain control over us. Somebody once said there's three stages. It says sin will take you farther than you want to go. And it will keep you longer in that sin than you want to be. And it's going to cost you dearly. That you can't pay. And that's true. When the prodigal son came to grips with what he was. He finally realizes what a mistake he had by rejecting his father. David said the same thing in Psalm 32. He says, oh, my my bones ached. I tried to cover my sin. I felt nothing. I was weak, worn out by trying to play the cover-up game. And finally, I got relief when I admitted to God. And he forgave me. He got the deep relief from his sorrow. And he got joy restored to his heart. Then Jesus says, Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. The meek? A lot of us interpret meek as weakness. And Jesus, in in, in the thesaurus, if you look at it, it means docile, mild, tame, Soft, passive, spineless. That's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about a horse that's a wild stallion. 
And when he talks about the meekness, that horse has been broken and trained and now still has the strength in his being, but handles it with different kind of thinking. Doesn't run over people, but rather when the strength is needed, it's there, and when it's not needed, it backs off. You see, Psalm 37 says, Meek people, don't worry about what other people say, whether they gossip about them or not. Meek people trust God. Meek people delight in getting to know God even better. Meek people commit their way to the Lord because they trust Him and give Him the reins. Meek people are quiet before the Lord, wait on Him. They wait patiently for Him. And they avoid anger. But they still have that strength and know how to use it well in the power of the Spirit. Because they're committed to the Lord. Jesus was meek. How many times did he hold himself back? On the cross he could have called a slew of angels and stopped that whole business. But he knew what his mission was and meekly took the cross because it was his assignment. Moses was weak. Moses was meek. He was very humble. And yet he was strong enough to go visit and confront the Pharaoh. But then when his friend Aaron and his sister Miriam were mocking him, making fun of him that he married a Cushite woman, when God had told him, and he's in the tent with them, and God says, tell him to come on out. And so the three of them go outside the tent. And then God takes Miriam and turns her into white leprosy. If you notice, Moses does nothing. God takes care of his battle. And the amazing thing is, Moses being meek and sensitive, he doesn't want her to suffer. Even though she's hurt him. And what does she do? He do. He prays that God will take away her leprosy. And he does. See, that's what we do when we're in the meekness of Christ. We're not like the porcupine that has 30,000 quills on him that shoot and put hurt into people. Those barbs of reaction and rejection and condemnation and judging people and resenting them and being selfish and being all kinds of envious. That's not part of us. Because we have the spirit of Jesus in us. And then he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What God's right is. For they shall be filled See, that's how it comes because we're yearning to know God better and we want to taste from His table and we want to be, have that part of us and the Holy Spirit puts the Word inside of us and dwells in us and shows us what God wants and we live that way. 
And it comes from hungering and thirsting after what God wants, which is righteousness. Not our revenge, but His righteousness. And that the Bible promises here that He'll satisfy. He will fill us. I was cracking up the other day. I was reading about the Super Bowl. Do you realize that this last Super Bowl, how much food was consumed by people watching it? They talk about 4 million pounds of popcorn, 9 million pounds of tortillas chips, 12 million pounds of potato chips, and 13 million pounds of guacamole dip. And then on the following day, there's an increase at pharmacies and stores about anti-acids. 20% people are buying anti-acids. But see, Jesus... His requirement is for us to hunger and thirst for Him. And the more we take of His food, the more the righteousness comes. And with that righteousness comes a filling inside of us. It's a requirement. We have to watch what we eat. We can't drop out of the world. I know there are people who want to go into a monastic life and shut off the TV set and not be aware of the world. But we need to be aware of the world because we're in the world and God has put us in here, this world, for a purpose. To change it and to be His light. We need to watch what we eat. You know, it's very easy to feast on the things that the world has and not what God has for us. Some of you saw the movie Super Size Me about the guy who spent 30 days eating junk food from the McDonald's of life. He wound up weighing 25 pounds more and he was always sick, not feeling good. Because it wasn't satisfying him. And what happens with us is we feed ourselves the wrong things. And then we wonder why we're not satisfied. The Bible here tells us in Isaiah 55, it tells us, why do you spend your money on things that are not bread? And why do you labor for these things that don't satisfy us? Jeremiah tells us, be appalled at this, that we've forsaken God in the springs of living water that he's had, and we've dunked Dug cisterns that can't even hold water. And then we wonder why we are starved. Maybe you found it the way I do. I could go to Olive Garden and eat a big full meal. And I'm thinking, oh, I'm pretty full. I get home. Where do I go first? <laughs> In the pantry. Looking for something else to eat. God is saying, what are you eating? Crave the pure milk of the word. Weigh what you eat. Look at it spiritually. Is it meeting what God sees that you need in your hearts? We're so addicted to mediocrity that we settle for things. We shouldn't settle. Especially for our spiritual hungers. We hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's what it says. And being doing that, we will be filled. 
And that it's a present tense in the Greek. It means you're hungering right now. You're thirsting right now for it. And we need to do that. Otherwise, we're going to not be filled and we're going to come up empty. This world is full of empty garbage, empty teachings. And we need to fill ourselves with the things. And you see, this whole idea comes because God is changing us inside. And that we no longer need the praise of other people in our world. We want to hear the well done now good and faithful servant from Jesus at the end of our lives. We don't need the approval of the world. We need the approval of God. And that comes when we hunger. You see, when you gave your life to Christ, the Bible tells us that he imputed his righteousness in you. That means his righteousness is credited to your account. And the day that you die, you stand before the throne of God. He sees Christ's righteousness covering you. He's imputed that right now into you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. You've already received it. But then we've been now empowered to impart that righteousness to our world. Positionally, we are already set for heaven. But practically, we need to go out and share the truth. It encouraged me to see people standing up at school boards and talking against these lies that are being filled in our schools and in our libraries to little children. It's ridiculous. I mean, if we hunger and thirst after righteousness, this should revolt us. And our deep desire is to walk differently and show the world that there is a difference and the truth shall reign. And that we're going to be filled as we do that. And that our attitude towards God. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall see God. They shall turn mercy. We're to be merciful people. When we have somebody to forgive, we should forgive them. Jesus gave us grace that he put into us what we could not get for ourselves. That's grace. But mercy is not giving what we could give. God didn't give us his wrath and send us to hell because of his mercy in Jesus Christ. And we are to do the same with those who maybe hurt us. Or say all kinds of evil against us. We're still to forgive them and show them mercy. We need to default in mercy. And release them from their debt. Jesus told that story in Matthew chapter 18. Of the man who was given, forgiven $10 million that he owed the master. And right afterwards he runs in. After he's been forgiven that debt, he runs into a guy who owes him $100. And he takes him to jail because he owed him the 100 and wouldn't pay it back. And instead of being merciful, he was unmerciful. And we who 
have experienced so much mercy from Christ. We need to forgive those who have hurt us and forgive them. And then finally, Jesus ends this with the blessed are those who are pure in heart. Those of us who've been purified by the fire, those who've been washed clean, that we have unmixed distractions, but we've constantly focused on Christ. That's the pure in heart. And we'll be called sons of God. We'll see God. That's what he says here. He says, when we are devoted to God in that way, we're going to see him. We'll see him every day in our lives. We'll see him working. And he'll see it in our actions of purity toward other people. That we won't have to wear the mask. But we live in truth. You see, it's easy to become like the Pharisees who mechanically followed the law. But Jesus said, you're like a white cup. Like the cup I had for two weeks on my desk that had coffee in it. <laughs> it's pretty disgusting. I don't even know if I'm going to be able to wash it out. And Jesus said, that's what it's like. You can look great on the outside, but if your inside isn't right, you need to come to me and fix it. So that you can become pure in your heart. Today the word of God speaks to us. As disciples of Jesus Christ. Not wanting to be legalistic. Not throwing away the law. Not trying to work our way through this. Not running away from our society. But walking with together hearts. That know who we are what we need to do and how we're to live before the world as we walk with the Lord in our lives. That's why he calls us to be pure in heart. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Today, Lord, you have laid on us a lot. And these are challenging things that we know in ourselves It's hard for us to fulfill. On our own, we can't do it. We need your Holy Spirit every day to feed us and to strengthen us so that we can be those disciples out in the world where we work, where our children go to school, as we live in our neighborhoods and deal with people every day in life who are different than us. Help us, Jesus, to love as true disciples, living for your righteousness and dispensing your mercy. And it's through you, Jesus Christ, we pray this. Amen. Let's stand together and let's close with our benediction and then we'll sing our closing song.
Now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God, your Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit invest in you every day to follow him. Amen. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. He has done great things. He has done great things. He has done great things. Bless his holy name.